It's time, D-Heads. Disney Blue presents Disney On Demand. Every week, Disney Blue lets you relive the magic, the movies, and the memories with celebrity guests, the best of classic Disney, and breaking news on Disney's latest. So put on your ears and give it a little bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. Disney Blue's Disney On Demand is on the air. Now, here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. All right, all of you Disney fans, you tuned in for another magical installment of Disney Blues, Disney On Demand, and this week for show number 164. For the week of February 9th, 2017, we're taking you to the pages, to those little moments of Disney that are on your nightstand, they're in the palm of your hand, you're enjoying them and learning new things, as we're welcoming none other than the author, Aaron Wallace, here to the show. Now, Aaron is the author of a variety of different books, including Hocus Pocus and Focus, The Thinking Fan's Guide to the Walt Disney World, Magic Kingdom, and Thinking Fan's Guide to Walt Disney World Epcot, his newest book that has just been released. And Aaron's going to stop in and talk about all of his books, Hocus Pocus, the favorite parts of writing the books, how the fans react, and of course, all things Disney, which we truly love here at the show. In addition, no show would be complete without the D-Team. That's right, you have the questions, he always has the answers, and Aaron's going to answer all your questions in I Want to Know. We have Paige with the latest magical music review with that sound of Disney for your ears. We also have Caitlin with the latest from the Walt Disney World Resort with WDWN2. And Jason goes deep into the vault with another Blu-ray and DVD you have to add to your collection. And let's not forget this week's Disney Short Leash on how to get the most out of your vacation from Dominic. And finally, let's not forget taking that stroll down the Hollywood Walk with more about our very special guest, Aaron Wallace with Cody. We have tons of news hot off the D-wire from the Walt Disney World Resort, Disney Channel, and a variety of different things. So before I jump into this week's show and we kick things off, I do want to mention that DizRadio.com is probably sponsored by Mickey's Travel. And Mickey's Travel is 100% free, no fee agency. They're going to help you plan, book, and prepare, make the most magical vacation that you could possibly have from dining reservations, your tickets, and more. They are going to make it extra special and magical. Just by mentioning that you heard about them here at the show, they're also going to take care of you with lanyards, autograph books, and so much more. So definitely check them out. Mickey'sTravel.com, the official sponsor of Diz Radio. So all of you D-heads, with that said, it is out of the way. Let's officially kick off show number 164 for the week of February 9th, 2017. How else? By looking into that great, big, beautiful tomorrow. Be right back, D-heads. Every day, there's a great big 
of the Thinking Fans Guide to Walt Disney World, Magic Kingdom, and Epcot, and Hocus Pocus in Focus, and you're listening to Disney On Demand. Cooper, and their dealings with pressed envelope to Davis and Kirk. Right down that A new era begins for Disney World at Epcot Center. Epcot, that stands for Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. Here's how Walt Disney described his brainchild almost 20 years ago. It will be a community of tomorrow that will never be completed, but will always be introducing and testing and demonstrating new materials and new systems. But Disney's original concept of a controlled community has changed. Epcot is the country's newest entertainment park and the most expensive to build. Sort of a permanent World's Fair, which represents Disney Productions' idea of the past, present, and future. Spaceship Earth, the world's largest geosphere, guides you to Future World, Epcot's Dazzler. Five huge pavilions house a combination of films, rides, and special Disney effects. Besides Exxon and General Motors, a number of companies have sponsored exhibits at Epcot. Industry puts up some of the money and lets Disney tell the story. On the other side of Epcot, World Showcase, a walk-through travelogue of nine different countries. You'll feel you're in Italy after a stroll through St. Mark's Square in Venice, or sip a pint of ale in an English pub. And by the way, this is the first time you'll see alcohol in a Disney park. 360-degree films take you around the World Showcase. The planning for Epcot began in 1965. When ground was broken in 79, Epcot Center became the largest private construction project in the world. Disney people hope that visitors to the Magic Kingdom will extend their stay in Disney World to visit Epcot just a couple miles away. But leave your Mickey Mouse ears at home because you won't see any of the famous and beloved characters at Epcot. Instead, Epcot will be the place for parents to drag the kids, not the other way around. The business that was built on Mickey Mouse is gambling a lot on Epcot, one billion dollars, hoping that you will want to see into the future.
It's Disney Blues, Disney On Demand. You hear that? It's the winds of change. Here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. All right, all of you D-heads, I hope you enjoyed the official kickoff for show number 164 for the week of February 9th, 2017, as we're gearing up for the author, the writer of three different fantastic books for all of you Disney fans with Hocus Pocus and Focus, The Thinking Fan's Guide to Walt Disney World, The Magic Kingdom, and The Thinking Fan's Guide to Walt Disney World, Epcot, as we have Aaron Wallace stopping in here at the show. We also have the D team of Aaron, Paige, Caitlin, Dominic, Jason, and Cody all stopping in here this week news hot off the D-Wire, and so much more. And it is a really jam-packed show here this week, D-Heads. Really jam-packed, let me tell ya. And I am also gearing up for the Pinewood Derby this weekend. Yes, as a scoutmaster to two different dens, I do have to get ready for the Pinewood Derby. So there's a lot of great things on the horizon for me as well this weekend. So before we jump into this news, let's officially tell you all the different ways you can stay connected here at the show. And first and foremost, you can always visit our official website at dizradio.com, D-I-Z Radio. There you can find our full list of past shows, the complete archives, our latest news blogs, our lifetime of Disney player, and more right there on our official website at DizRadio.com, D-I-Z-Radio.com. You can also connect up with us all over the social media outlets on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Disney On Demand. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Just search Disney On Demand. Diz Radio, D-I-Z Radio, or Disney Blue, and that's B-L-U. And remember, if you can't wait, you need the shows as soon as they get released. It's super easy. Just go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio, and you can subscribe right there to the latest shows and get them on your iPhone, your Android, your tablet, you name it, to listen to and enjoy and have the magic, the music, and the memories from your lifetime of Disney in your ears instantly. And remember, if you can't remember any of these links, just go to our official website at DizRadio.com, D-I-Z Radio.com, all the links are there as well. So all of you D-heads, like I said, there is a jam-packed show. A lot of different things going on. And Aaron, being a huge Disney fan, as well as myself, about especially a lot of the history things, I'm sure we're going to be chatting for quite some time. So I'm going to condense news here this week. So just give you some of the highlights of what's going on within the Walt Disney Company here this week. And let's start it off with some fire hazards getting recalled. Yes, the Walt Disney Parks and Resorts recalled Mickey Mouse nightlights due to fire hazards. Now, the Happy Holidays Mickey Mouse nightlights have now been recalled. Now, the hazard stems from the liquid from the nightlight that can leak into the electrical outlet, posing a possible fire hazard. Now, the remedy for this, as Disney is putting out, is they are going to give you a complete refund. Now, so far, they're estimating about 3,000 units are being recalled. And if you do have one and we're at the Disney Parks at Walt Disney World Resort or order them online, all you have to do is call 844 722-14444. You can also go through their website at DisneyParks.com and click on the safety recall at the bottom of the page for more information as well. They retail for about $15 and you can either choose to shoot away, get a refund or whatnot, but they are rectifying the problem and if you are still using it, it's at your own risk. But the Mickey Mouse Happy Holidays night lights are being recalled. Now, moving away from that, let's get into places far away, but of course I'm not going to talk about Star Wars. How about Home Away to give away a fairy tale like castle stay in celebration of Disney's Beauty and the Beast. With excitement building for the live action adaptation of Disney's Beauty and the Beast featuring Emma Watson and Dan Stevens, Home Away is teaming up with Disney to celebrate the film by giving one lucky winner and 20 of his or her chosen guests an unprecedented Home Away castle stay experience in Scotland this summer. 
With its contest that's launching in several countries this week, the world leader in vacation rentals is offering for the chance to make someone's dream of living in a real-life fairy tale castle come true. Now, the prize package includes a five-night stay in a majestic 14th-century castle located in Dunn, Scotland, and all travel arrangements for the winner and up to 20 guests is all included with the contest. Now, the group will also have the entire castle and its 1,200 acres to themselves to enjoy as they wish and partake in a variety of activities, ranging from archery to falconry and many other things. They can easily, they can also sing, dance, read books, or just hey, take it in and say, hey, I'm in a castle. Now, this is fantastic, and as they have put on their press release, our mission at HomeAway is to help families and groups make unforgettable vacation memories and to be part of this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Now, travels from the U.S. as well as France, Germany, and the U.K. can enter it at hashtag HomeAwayCastle with the prize drawing visiting HomeAway.com Disney until March 31st of 2017 when the contest officially closes. Now, this is going to be fantastic. I'm excited for it. I'm entering it because, come on, who doesn't want to stay in a castle with a bunch of friends that you already have so definitely check it out at homeaway.com disney for more details as well now getting into a galaxy far far away in star wars and how about the star wars film concert series to feature iconic scores performed live to film now the new york philharmonic will present the world premiere of star wars film concert series featuring screenings of the complete films of a new hope the empire strikes back return of the jedi and the force awakens with oscar-winning composer john williams musical scores performed live to the films now the concerts will be led by acclaimed conductor of david newman now since the release of the first star wars movie almost 40 years ago the star wars saga has been huge and it's had a great impact in the musical cinema pop culture you name it now kicking off on september 15th it is going to kick off with a new hope they're going to follow that on the 27th with empire strikes back as well as return of the jedi on october 4th and october 6th the force awakens now this is going to be a fun time to see it live and in concert i had a chance to catch one of these showings in my hometown where they play the score live to the films and it's just an experience that is unlike anything else you're going to have. Now, this is taking place in New York. And if you want to find out more about this, all you have to do is definitely check out the New York Philharmonic and the Star Wars Film Concert Series. It's kicking off September 15th and going all the way through October 7th. Now, since I am talking about Star Wars, I'll stay on the Star Wars front here. And how about the Star Wars and Avatar Lands actually have announcements? Yes, now you've probably read about this all over other Disney sites, news sources, posted everywhere on Facebook, you name it. But how about the wait is over and Disney has officially opened the date. So if you've been under a rock and this is the first time you're hearing it, the Star Wars inspired themes are going to open in 2019 at the Disneyland Resort in Anaheim, California, as well as Walt Disney World's Hollywood Studios in Orlando, Florida. Now, even though we have to wait for 2019 for those, Pandora, the world of Avatar, is going to kick off and open on May 27th just in time for Memorial Day weekend this year as part of Disney World's Animal Kingdom. Now, these dates have been highly anticipated. Avatar Land has been in the works forever. Now, I'm not a fan of Avatar the movies, but I am going to remain optimistic because, come on, has Disney ever let us down in what they offer in the attractions or anything? They have not. But now they are going to have all new attractions and more. Avatar Land kicking off on May 27th, and the official, the one I'm waiting for, 2019, for Star Wars Land to open. And also, one more Star Wars news here. How about the Star Wars spoof film, 
is in the works by the Scary Movie team. Yes, the brains behind the Scary Movie franchise and its targets have been set for a galaxy far, far away. Jason Friedberg and Aaron Setzer have now announced their latest film parody, Star Worlds Episode XXXIVE equals MC Squared. Now, this will be one of the Star Wars spoofs that we haven't seen in a long time since Spaceballs. Now, they are going to have a fantastic one, and it also has a subtitle of The Force Awakens The Last Jedi Who Went Rogue. Now, this is going to be fun, and The Hollywood Reporter announced it this week as the official resource for it, but they said that it is going to be fun. It's also going to be written and directed by both people, Setzer and Friedberg as well. Now, I am excited to see this. I think it's going to be fantastic and funny. And like I said, we haven't seen a good Star Wars spoof since Spaceballs. And finally, like I said, I'm keeping news really, really toned down here this week, D-Heads. I'm not going to give you 30 minutes of news here this week, just a little bit of news. How about wishes, and I feel sad about that, to end at the Magic Kingdom on May 11th, and they're kicking off the all-new Happily Ever After, debuting on May 12th. Now, wishes, dream a dream. Wishes, come on, you know you want to sing along with me. Those lyrics are burned into our minds. Everybody loves them as much as I still miss Spectro Magic. For over 13 years, Wishes has been the go-to fireworks at the Disney World Resort at the Magic Kingdom in Orlando, and everybody loves it. Now it is going to get replaced and end on May 11th with the all-new Happily Ever After to debut on May 12th. Now, Happily Ever After is the new replacement for Wishes. It's going to premiere at the Magic Kingdom, and according to the official Disney Parks blog, the new show will inspire guests to seek out and find their own happily ever after by showcasing some of the greatest adventures from Disney characters have taken to achieve their dreams. The show will feature the latest fireworks and pyrotechnics, including original animation, plus heart-tugging original score. Now, much like the recent Star Wars fireworks at Disney Hollywood Studios, the new Magic Kingdom fireworks show is expected to rely heavily on video projection, mapping on Cinderella Castle, and incorporating characters from Moana, Brave, Big Hero 6, Zootopia, The Princess and the Frog, and Aladdin, just to name a few. So I am really sad to see Wishes go. I am excited to see something new, but I, you know, I just love singing along to Wishes. I still love singing along to Spectral Magic. I miss these things. But like I said before with Avatar Land, has Disney ever let us down? I don't think so. Okay, well, maybe with the Journey into Imagination remake, uh, that attraction, they did let us down with that. But aside from that, May 12th, all new fireworks, Happily Ever After is debuting. So, D-Heads, with that said, I'm going to end news here this week. Like I said, I'm going to keep it short because we have a huge jam-packed show. We have Aaron Wallace stopping in here very shortly to talk about Hocus Pocus and Focus, Thinking Fan's Guide to Epcot, his newest book. We have the D-Team here with Aaron Page, Caitlin, Dominic, Jason, and Cody stopping in here, and so much more. So there's a lot of things on the horizon. So before I release the reins to the D-Team, I do want to mention that DizRadio.com is probably sponsored by Mickey's Travel. And Mickey's Travel is 100% free, no-fee agency. They're going to plan, book, and prepare, make the most magical vacation that you could possibly have. From dining reservations, character interactions, and more, they are going to make it the most magical vacation that you could possibly experience. And just by mentioning that you heard about them here at Diz Radio, they are going to hook you up. Yes, they are going to give you lanyards, autograph books, and so much more just by mentioning that you heard about them here at the show. So definitely check them out. They're knowledgeable experts, been in business since 1994. They're a no-fee-free agency. Check them out, mickeystravel.com, the official sponsor of Diz Radio. So all VD heads, with that says, we continue our trek into the world of tomorrow, into the vintage paths of the Magic Kingdom, and into getting in focus with Hocus Pocus. I'm going to release the reins here to the D-Team. You have the questions, he has the answers. 
and so much more as Aaron's going to kick off some D-Team here very shortly. So with that, I'm going to release the reins here to the D-Team with a little bit of a uh, sing-along here and one of my favorites. Take it away, Bette Midler, and I'll be back, team. Thank you, Max, for that marvelous introduction. <laughs> I put a spell on you. And now you're mine. <laughs> you can't stop the things I do. I ain't lying. No! No! Don't look at that! Been 300 years, right down to the day. Now the witch is back, and there's hell to pay. <laughs> I stand on you. Good joke. Happy Halloween. Thanks a lot. No, man, I'm serious. You got to have me. I'm not kidding. saga of two members who have chosen to leave the colony in search of other survivors. They are compelled to venture beyond which mountain.
have questions, we have answers. Let's dip our hands into the virtual mailbag and uncover the truth in I Want to Know. Hey, D-Heads, this is Aaron, and it's time again for another installment of I Want to Know. Well, Valentine's Day is right around the corner. Hope everyone enjoys the day with that special someone. Well, you guys been busy sending in emails, and the virtual mailbag is full. So let's reach in and see what questions we have for this week. Our first question is from Roy Raymond of Sarasota, Florida, and he writes, Aaron and Diz Radio, great podcast. I was wondering about Epcot and the American Adventure. How many versions of the end song have there been? I swear it's been two or three versions by now. Also, wasn't there an old TV show about the making of the attraction as well? Thank you. Well, American Adventure is a wonderful show at Epcot. There have been two versions of the song Golden Dream. The music was written by Robert Molan, and the lyrics were written by show producer Randy Bright. The song gets its biggest push at the end of the attraction during the montage sequence of Famous Americans. The melody has been heard in Epcot's entrance plaza since opening day. The updated version of the song has different vocals, a longer chorus after the quotes, and a different ending. I believe the special you're talking about is called Backstage Epcot, The American Adventure. It was a 1987 Disney Channel special and was hosted by Lloyd Bridges. It's available to watch on YouTube. Our next question is from Frank Johnson of Plano, Texas, and he writes, Question for the show about Disney's The Ugly Dash Hound. Can I find it on DVD or Blu-ray anywhere? And how many movies has Dean Jones done for Disney? You're awesome, D-Team. Well, The Ugly Dash Hound is a 1966 Walt Disney Productions film starring Dean Jones and Suzanne Pochette in a story about a great Dane who believes he's a dash hound. It's a hilarious movie. The movie is available on Amazon, on DVD, and it's also available for digital download. Dean Jones did 13 movies for Disney, and my favorite is the original The Love Bug. But he was also in That Darn Cat, The Shaggy D.A., Blackbeard's Ghost, The Million Dollar Duck, The Ugly Dash Hound, Monkeys Go Home, The Horse in the Gray Flannel Suit, Snowball Express, Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo, and the remakes of That Darn Cat, The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes, and The Love Bug. Well, our final question this week is from Allison R. of Rockford, Illinois, and she writes, Aaron of the D-Team, I love the show. After listening to the last show, I got to thinking about all those great classic Disney live-action films. I do enjoy the Witch Mountain series, even the remake a few years ago. I read somewhere that it was also supposed to be a TV series. Can that be found anywhere? Who was in it? The original kids? And I think I saw a picture of Jonathan on Real Housewives with Kim Richards. When did that air? Well, I also love the original Escape to Witch Mountain. That's my favorite one. Beyond Witch Mountain came out in 1982. It was the second sequel to the 1975 Disney film 
escaped to Witch Mountain. Although Eddie Albert returned to play Jason O'Day from the original 1975 movie, the parts of Tony and Tia were recast with actors comparable only in age to Ike Eisenman and Kim Richards when they first played the parts. The parts of Aristotle Bolt, Lucas Duranian, and Uncle Benet were also recast. He was originally intended to be the pilot for a television series, but no networks thought that viewers would take the show seriously, and so a second episode was never made. The film also contradicts the 1978 sequel, Return from Witch Mountain, because in that film, Tia and Tony are of teenage years, because Uncle Benet is still alive, and because in both of the original movies, Tony had to answer Tia verbally. He did not have the power to talk through his mind. But in Beyond Witch Mountain, Tia and Tony are around the same age as from the first movie. Uncle Benet dies early in the film, and Tony can talk to Tia mentally. Beyond Witch Mountain is available on Amazon on DVD. And yes, you did see Jonathan interviewing Kim Richards on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. It was during season one of the series. He actually got to interview her before the show ever started. That's pretty cool. And you can listen to the entire interview in our podcast archives all the way back to episode 11. Well, D-Heads, that concludes another installment of I Want to Know. Thanks for your great questions and keep them coming. Send all your questions or comments to Aaron, E-R-I-N, at DizRadio.com. I'd love to hear from you guys. Make sure to include your name and city so I can give you credit. And remember, D-Heads, laughter is timeless, imagination has no age, and dreams are forever. We'll see you next week, D-Heads. Spread your golden wings Sail on freedom's wind Cross the sky Great bird With your golden dreams Flying high Flying high Restless country can do for you. 
ask what you can do for your country. My fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of man. I have a dream this afternoon that the brotherhood of man will become a reality in this day with this faith. 40 feet down, two and a half, picking up some dust. Four forward, four forward, drift into the right a little. Contact light, okay, engine stop. We copy it down, Eagle. Tranquility base here, the Eagle has landed. Envelope to Davis and Kirk. Right down that We're at Epcot Center's World Showcase. In a few hours, this area will be teeming with thousands of happy guests enjoying its host pavilion, the American Adventure. Disney World in Orlando, Florida. It's time to step behind the scenes at Epcot Center and discover the fantastic world of Imagineering. It's Backstage Disney, the American Adventure, with your host, Lloyd Bridges. The American Adventure is one of the most ambitious shows ever produced by the Disney organization. So before we see the show, let's go backstage, behind the scenes, and meet some of the people who helped create the American Adventure. It began in California at Walt Disney Imagineering, the design and manufacturing division of the Walt Disney Company. These talented artists, engineers, and technicians helped create Disneyland and Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. Hi there, it's Caitlin here with WDWN2, a quick rundown of what's happening in the parks. Well, the big news this week is that the opening dates for Pandora and Star Wars Land have both been announced. We can look forward to Pandora, the World of Avatar, opening on May 27th of this year, and Star Wars Land, which is slated to open sometime in 2019. There are still a couple of weeks left for the Festival of Arts at Epcot. If you haven't experienced it yet, I've heard great things. 
If I were there, I'd be sure to check out the Odyssey Festival Showplace to see works by Mary Blair and Herb Ryman. And make sure to be on the lookout for Imagineers and artists who may be making guest appearances. Speaking of festivals, everyone's favorite flower and garden festival is just around the corner, and with it comes the annual Garden Rocks Concert Series, which has added Monday performances for the first time this year. So if you can't make it over the weekend, you'll have one more chance to catch a show. If you just can't wait until Beauty and the Beast premieres next month, you may want to stop by Hollywood Studios to catch a sneak peek at the attraction One Man's Dream. While you're there, make sure to find the display featuring props and costumes straight from the set. And if you're at Disney Springs, make sure to note the reimagined Planet Hollywood Observatory is now open for business. Thanks for listening, and until next time, don't forget, you can fly.
This is Dora Birch, and you're listening to Disney On Demand. From Walt Disney Home Video, the Sanderson Witches are flying into town. And now everyone's in for a real treat. Greedy little beggar. Winnie's the wickedest. Hello. Sarah's the sexiest. Will thou dance with me? And Mary's the hungriest. No time for snacking. They're here to have some fun and practice a little witchcraft. If they could only get it right. she did it. Hocus Pocus on video cassette. Hello everyone, this is Dominic and welcome to another edition of Disney's Short Leash. If you're new to this segment, the Short Leash isn't what you implement on a Doberman to protect your mailman. No, the Short Leash is a series of tips for people to get the most out of their Walt Disney World vacation when they are short on time or short on money. With any luck, you may be able to try some of these suggestions and quite possibly do as much, if not more, than someone vacationing with a greater amount of time or a larger budget. This week's tip is how to become a Walt Disney World Resort Hobo. So there's no confusion, let's start with this first. I love the Walt Disney World Resorts. Over the last 40 years, my family has stayed in all-star movies, all-star music, the boardwalk and the contemporary Coronado Springs, the Polynesian, Grand Floridian, Port Orleans, and close enough to count, the Dolphin. As much as a full immersion into the literal and figurative Disney world that a stay in a themed Disney resort has, on a short leash trip, we rarely stay on property. There are some reasons for this. A lot of times, our short leash trips happen to be in a large group capacity. And when I say large, I'm talking in excess of 100 people. In those cases, our entire trip package is compiled by a third party. When we're on our own as a family, we run into some Disney money math. On our last family short leash trip over Christmas week, the most inexpensive on-property resort we found for the five of us was the Caribbean Beach at $303 a night. I'm not going to debate the reasonableness of this figure. There are perks and ambiance reasons that some travelers may find worth that money. There are strong arguments such as extra magic hours, magic bands, parking and transportation, meal plan availability, and more that make staying on property a potential value. However, for the way our family runs a short lease trip, an on-property stay fails us on two fronts, time and money. Let's hit the calculators. When we are vacationing to Walt Disney World on a 10-day trip, Non-park hopping tickets would currently cost us $2,108.70 plus tax. Again, we're a family of five, four of which are now adult tickets because our 10-year-old daughter is celebrating her Disney bat mitzvah. Now that she's 10, she gets to pay adult prices as well. So again, that's $2,108.70 plus tax for a 10-day trip, a three-day short lease trip, for the same non-park hopping tickets, costs $1,525.80. Your three-day trip is costing you 72% the cost of a 10-day trip in tickets, because the longer you stay, the more you save. To recoup some of that difference, last time we stayed off property at $162.63 a night. That saved us $561.48 on the resort cost. Now let's factor in some of the benefits that we lost. For this trip, parking on property costs us $80. Losing extra magic hours cost us $42 in park time. So our net hotel savings was actually in the neighborhood of about $440. Often we stay somewhere that has an early free breakfast, which adds to our savings. Using these savings is found money that leaves us about $110 a day for other meals. Essentially, staying off property on a short lease trip allows us to eat for free. 
But the bigger problem with our stay on property is the way we vacation at Walt Disney World, especially on a short leash trip. We go for the parks, because the attractions are something we just can't do anywhere else. I can go many places for a resort or dining experience. So we put a dollar value on the park ticket. Like I said earlier, on a longer trip, the park tickets get discounted the longer we stay, eventually costing us less than $60 a day. And that's not $60 each, that's $60 for all five of us. On a short leash trip, $60 barely gets to five of us an hour and a half in the parks. So we're trying to get the most bang for our buck. We are definitely there open to close. We leave the hotel before 7 a.m., return 1 or 2 in the morning. We're simply not even awake to enjoy the hotel. Thus, the values just simply isn't there for us. We do find a way to take advantage on on-property resorts despite not checking in. And that's where this week's short-leash tip about being a resort hobo comes in. If I'm not going to get a chance to enjoy the resorts because I'm in the parks open to close, I am going to enjoy their amenities on my travel days. We never buy a park ticket on our check-in or check-out days because unless we are going to arrive before rope drop or get out of town after the park closes, we end up paying for park hours when we're not even in Orlando to enjoy them. It doesn't matter if you fly or drive, when you arrive, take advantage of the resorts instead of the parks. Hop a train of the future and ride the monorail to do a little tour of Epcot. Take the resort loop and enjoy a live jazz orchestra at the Grand Floridian. Check out the nighttime fireworks from the Contemporary. While you're there, marvel at the wonderful cheesiness of the electric water pageant. Watch some movies at the hotel of your choice. Take in some character dining. The Hoop-de-Doo Review. Ride a boat to resorts you aren't even staying at. Walk their trails, enjoy their shopping and theming. Then leave for yet another place you're not going to stay at. Schedule a spa treatment or go to a salon. Hop a bus to Port Orleans and hear Yeehaw Bob on the piano. Stroll along the boardwalk featuring 90% less South Jersey. You can easily make a day out of the food shopping and shows at Downtown Disney and a resort bus will take you there. No ticket, no problem. I bet by bus hopping, boat riding, monorail taking, downtown Disneying, boardwalking, shopping, dining, show watching, live music jamming, beach strolling, trail moseying, vagrancy, will have you taking advantage of more resort amenities and enjoying your check-in day better than many people are actually staying there. Being fully entertained and not burning park time on your travel day, that's short leash people. I hope you enjoy the tip. Jonathan is taking some time out of his birthday week to hook me up with an official Diz Radio email. So I'd love to hear from you. Say hi, ask some questions, give some suggestions, or even send your own short leash tips at Dominic. That's D-O-M-E-N-I-C at DizRadio.com. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Welcome to our tropical hideaway, you lucky people, you. If we weren't in the show starting right away, we'd be the audience too. All together in the tiki 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 room, in the tiki 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 room. All the birds sing word and the flowers croon, in the tiki 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 room. likes to be seen and it loves to be heard. Most little birdies will fly away, but the tiki room birds are here every day. In the tiki 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 room, in the tiki 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 room, all the birds sing words and the flowers croon. In the tiki 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 room, a little louder. In the tiki 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 room, all the birds sing words and the flowers croon. In the tiki 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 room.
Let's start those projectors and look at this week's Hollywood Walk. Hey everyone, Cody here, getting ready to bring you another installment of this week's Hollywood Walk. And I was thinking the other day, I wonder if you've done the same thing. Have you ever found yourself, you're watching a movie, let's just for argument's sake say it's a Disney movie perchance, or maybe you're walking around the parks around Disney World, and you just got questions that pop up into your head. Something like, why do they do it this way? Or how do they come up with that type of idea for that? Or what was the inspiration? Or what exactly does this line in the movie mean? Or any other type of fun, interesting questions that would pop through your mind. Why did they pick this location? How did they come up with this design? Just anything like that. Well, this week's special guest has got you covered in some aspects already. He's written three books of which dive deep into the how, what, and whys of some of Disney's biggest iconic features. So far, he has written three books, The Thinking Fan Guide to Walt Disney World Epcot, The Thinking Fan's Guide to Walt Disney World The Magic Kingdom, and Hocus Pocus in Focus, The Thinking Fan's Guide to Disney's Halloween Classics. This week's special guest Aaron Wallace is the author to all three of these books, and inside of the Hocus Pocus book, which of course everyone knows as being a cult classic for Disney, and I think in a lot of Disney households, it's almost as a necessity. You need to watch it before you go trick-or-treating or even just during the, the time of year. It's, it's a must-watch. It's almost as if going to a baseball game and eating a hot dog, whether it be in the stadium or at a tailgate. It's just something that needs to be done. And inside of Aaron Wallace's book, he explains the fascinating history behind the songs in the movie, Come Little Children, which is also known as Sarah's Songs, and I put a spell on you. He also goes into depth on how Steven Spielberg shaped the movie, whether another sequel could actually really happen. And he just goes on and on and more and more interesting fun facts about the film. Again, he's also got a book that talks about the Magic Kingdom and the Magic Kingdom opened its doors on October 1st in 1971. It was the first of four theme parks at the resort for Walt Disney World. And of course, everyone knows Magic Kingdom from the iconic castle, which of course is Cinderella's castle, which was acquired by the fairy tale castle in the 1950 film. In 2015 alone, this park hosted over 20 20 million visitors, making it the most visited theme park in the world for the 10th consecutive year. And since 2001, it has hosted more than 14 million people per year. That is an insane amount. And the, what's great about it is that that number just keeps rising as you go from year to year to year. And that's wonderful to see that the love for Disney just keeps growing and growing and growing and more people are getting to the parks. The parks are a blast and it's just great that more and people are being able to enjoy him. And then also going into his other book about Epcot. Epcot was opened up in 1982 and it was the second of the four theme parks built at Walt Disney World after the Magic Kingdom. And it spans over 300 acres. It's more than twice the size of the Magic Kingdom. And it's dedicated to the celebration of human achievement, namely technological innovation and international culture. It's also often referred to as a permanent world's fair. It's divided into two sections, Future World, made up of eight pavilions and world showcases themed to 11 world nations. This park in 2015 hosted 
a little more than half of what Magic Kingdom did at about 12 million guests, ranking at the third most visited theme park in North America and the sixth most visited theme park in the world. So this week's special guest loves to just dive in and get to know even more about Disney than we think we already know. There's so much more out there, let's just say undiscovered at this moment. And this week's guest, Aaron, makes it his business to go in and do the dirty work for us. And he's going to be coming up with Jonathan in just a few short minutes. So I'm going to boogie on out of here real quick, D-Eds. It's been great talking to you. And I will see you in about seven more days. Don't forget, you can always reach me at Cody at DizRadio.com. That's Cody, C-O-D-Y at DizRadio.com. And get ready because Aaron Wallace is coming up with your host, Jonathan, right after this. Have a great one, D-Heads. One little spark of inspiration is at the heart <laughs> of all creation. Right at the start of everything that's new. One little spark lights up for you. Oh, hello there. So glad you could come along. I am the Dream Finder. <laughs> Musical notes. What delightful melodies those will make. I love these flights of fancy. Searching the universe for sounds, colors, ideas, anything that sparks the imagination. A sunbeam. That's a good one. Oh, everything I collect can inspire amazing and marvelous new ideas. And you'll never know what kind of figment you may come up with. Oh, here's my favorite. Two tiny wings, eyes big and yellow, horns of a steer, but a lovable fellow. From head to tail, he's royal purple pigment, and there, voila, you got a figment, a figment of imagination. <laughs> Dreamfinder, I'm just right. Uh, 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 not quite. Huh? I'll throw in a dash of childish delight. <laughs> Look, figment. Some new friends have joined us. Can they imagine too? Of course! Imagination is something that belongs to all of us. You mean everyone can think up new things. <laughs> That's right, Figment. And every sparkling idea can lead to even more. So many times we're stumbling in the dark, and then you What a spark! How are we going to use lightning? Hmm. We can combine it with ghostly shivers on a stormy night and turn them into a tale of fright. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh look, look, a rainbow. I'll use that. You paint with. Now you've got it. Wow, wow, wow. Numbers, letters, papers for writing, costumes, makeup, stages for lighting, tears off laughter. <laughs> what about science? Science? We'll need electron beams and crystal prisms, gyroscopes and magnetism, holy grail Hold on, Figment. Why? The idea bag is full. It is? Let's start making new things. Now, wait. First, we must store these ideas with the others in the dream port. Are we almost there? Oh, the dream port is never far away when you use your imagination. Come on, everybody. Let's we go. We all have sparks. Imagination. Yeah. That's how our minds create creations. <laughs> right at the start of everything that's new, one little spark lights up for you. Oh, boy. Imagination. 
Imagination A dream can be a dream come true With just that spark in me and you Lights, camera, action It's time for this week's Disney On Demand special guest. All right, all of you Disney fans, you tuned in for another magical installment of Disney Blues, Disney On Demand. And as we continue to bring you all the magic and memories from your lifetime of Disney, many times those are ones that are in the palm of your hand, ones that you're taking with you through the parks, whether you're sitting at home, it's sitting on your nightstand. And with us here this week is somebody that's no stranger to anything Disney, whether it's the parks, movies, and more. You know him as the author from the Hocus Pocus and Focus and the newest Thinking fans guide to Walt Disney World Epcot we have none other than Aaron Wallace here welcome to Disney on Demand thank you so much Jonathan for having me it is uh, awesome to be joining you it is our pleasure you know I always want to say thinking man's guide instead of thinking fan I don't know why well fun fact that was the original title in the very uh, early stages and uh, I think <laughs> fans is better and more inclusive, so we ended up going with that. Well, you know, jumping right in here, of course, you know, a little bit different. You know, we cover everything here at the show from, you know, actors, behind-the-scenes directors, and, of course, authors. And with that, I'm not going to say what led you down that road of acting like I would normally ask anybody, but what sparked that imagination to go in, dive in, and write that first Disney book? Oh, gosh. Well, thankfully, it is writing and not acting. I don't think uh, anyone wants to see that uh, (laughs) from me. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I've always loved writing itself. I mean, from the time I was a little kid, it has always been what I do uh, for fun. Uh, it's the first thing on my mind when I wake up in the morning. I just really feel compelled to write and, and always have, you know, as long as I've known what that is. Uh, when it comes to writing about Disney, I guess my first opportunity to, to do something, you know, with the written word outside of um, academia was uh, for a website called ultimatedisney.com. Uh, which now goes by dvdizzy.com, and it's kind of the leading website uh, for Disney movie coverage, uh, and uh, they invited me to do some movie and DVD reviews for them, and this was probably at 11, 12 years ago. I was just getting started in college at the time, and uh, that kind of opened this world to me, like, oh, there's this, you know, this budding, it was then budding community of Disney fans online, and uh, so that kind of gave me, uh, you know, a chance to write about something that was near and dear to my heart. And uh, fortunately, that site had a very large base of readers. And uh, that kind of, you know, one thing led to another and led to the world of, of podcasting and writing for other websites. And then that led to uh, an opportunity to write a book. Well, you know, and that, you know, led right there to the book, of course, like you said, you know, because of the following of that site, and I remember that site as well, you know, I've been around the Disney circles for ages, it seems, and that's going to lead us to that, you know, that first book, The Thinking Fan's Guide to Walt Disney World, The Magic Kingdom. Uh, it has a second edition. I guess, of course, everybody loves Walt Disney World, and of course, my favorite is The Magic Kingdom. I guess, what made you say, let's explore The Magic Kingdom that hasn't been explored so far from all the other books that were out there? What made yours totally different when you sat down and started typing away? Yeah, well, you know, I think at that time, there was there was not a book uh, out there that really looked at individual rides and shows. Uh, almost as art forms or as narrative works in and of themselves. So there are a lot of books that would might treat, you know, Walt Disney World as a whole or even a, a specific theme park as a whole, but not going ride by ride, show by show in real depth. 
And that's the kind of thing, like, I was looking for a book like that. Uh, and I also knew in, like, a distant corner of my mind that I might want to write, a, you know, a book-length project about Disney someday. And so those things kind of came together. I was in law school at the time, actually. And uh, so I just thought, you know, now's the time. If I ever want to write a book, I should do it now. Uh, and I just, I really want, I was, I was very intrigued by this question of, like, what is it about It's a Small World, for example, that makes it, so appealing for decade after decade and for millions of people like clearly it's speaking to us right and it's i mean we can say it's pretty it's fun it's a nice song but like what is it really like why are we disney fans and that's the question that i kind of been trying to get at in my podcast and this was an opportunity to sit down and i guess like put a little uh, or get kind of into the meat of it uh, of what you know what makes us disney fans and and i thought this whole idea of doing it uh, through the rides and the shows, um, you know, why can't we do that? You know, like we, we look at movies that way, right? We look at books, we look at plays, we look at songs. I mean, critics sit around and, and have these very erudite discussions about, you know, what is the author trying to say? What is the playwright trying to say? And reading between the lines and studying the structure of the story and see, you know, scene by scene, like that, character development, plot development, all those things happen in, for example, a dark ride like Peter Pan's Flight. And, in any given attraction, there's a wealth of history, not only in the development of like Walt Disney and his Imagineers, uh, so there's the Disney history, but then there's a whole literary history like J.M. Barry and, uh, and, you know, film adaptations over the course of 50, 60 years that led up to Disney's film adaptation that then led to the ride. And so I, I was just fascinated by like how much there was to talk about that really had not been yet. Well, you know, and like you said, there are so many other facets that, uh, you know, you're not able to talk about. I mean, so much so, I mean, you think about it, people will talk about the Enchanted Tiki Room, and they'll talk about Dole Whips, and of course, you know, everyone jumps on the trail and says they love them, even if, you know, you talk to many of them, they actually don't even go get one when they're there. Uh, you know, but there's so many other facets then that are part of those attractions, and you cover that in that book, which, fantastic read, and going through that, now, is there one part of the book, or one attraction, or one little segment of the book that was your absolute favorite to write, where you were sitting there, and you're like, all right, this is the true spark of inspiration right here, that you, you kind of got those butterflies in your stomach when you were writing that portion? Oh, gosh, you know, it's hard to say now. I, when I was first writing this book, it was, it's been a number of years now since I was writing the first edition. What I can say is that with anything, when you're creating something, I think the parts you think are great and that people are going to love and the parts that you think maybe, you know, aren't as interesting, it's like opposite. It's often the extreme opposite when it gets out there. So, for example, there's a... The Frontierland Shootin' Arcade. I mean, I, I was sort of interested in that, but to, in my mind, that's just a, a diversionary attraction that people sort of walk by and don't notice, and it's a small little part of the book. But, you know, it, that attraction has, like, a little interesting history in, in of itself, but never in a million years did I imagine that that is an attraction or a chapter that I would get lots of email in about, but I have. And so, the, you know, that came as a complete surprise. Uh, but in terms of my favorite, I mean, that – that has probably been shaped by what readers have told me is their favorite because it just makes it like, you know, dear to my heart when I hear that other people have sort of connected with what I wrote. And those would be, uh, it's a small world, the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Uh, and both of those, uh, I think get into kind of a, a deeper history, like with it's a small world to get into like the civil rights act of 1964 and how that, 
signing that piece of legislation dovetailed with the opening of It's a Small World, uh, with the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. I get into kind of the real life history of uh, A.A. Milne and Christopher Robin, who was his son, and there was this like lifetime of resentment, uh, and you know how those characters, the Pooh characters, uh, were based on real life physical stuffed toys, and like that fact, the fact that they were dolls. It's very important to the ride as it exists and why those animatronics look different than other animatronics we encounter in the park. And so because there there was all this subtext with those attractions, uh, I think there was just a lot to to dive into. And, and that maybe is why people have connected with those. And so they've uh, become extra special for me. Well, you know, and with that, you know, like you said, there's a lot of different things where something is extra special to you, not so much to someone else. But, of course, that always goes back to that moment in time. You know, everybody has that one attraction, that one moment that's going to take them back into that that one moment, that one history, being there with their parents or with their loved ones. And, of course, I foresee a third edition coming out sometime in the future with the way attractions keep changing. But looking all the way back at the Magic Kingdom, is there one attraction that you never had a chance to experience that you wish you would have had that chance before it was gone? Oh, yes. So many. Uh, I mean, what I wouldn't give for a time machine. And I mean, I think pretty much every Disney fan feels that way. You know, I'm I'm 31 sitting here today. And so, you know, I've been around for a lot of Magic Kingdom history, but there was a good chunk that I, I wasn't there for. Uh, even, you know, some of early Epcot I wasn't there for. Most of early Disneyland, you know, I wasn't around for. And, you know, nothing gets like the fanboy in me going more than looking back at photographs from, you know, 1971, uh, or 1955 at Disneyland. Uh, and, you know, it's this, it's, it's like this ghost of a, of a thing that haunts us because we want it. You know, we want to go there so badly. We want to see how the thing that we know began, like its origin story, we want to get back there, but we can't. And so it's elusive. Uh, and th- that's just so irresistibly fascinating. Uh, and so, I mean, all of it, you know, whether it's adventures through interspace in, in Disneyland uh, or in Magic Kingdom, uh, actually, I never got to do Alien Encounter, which is which was around during my lifetime. And I, I shouldn't say I didn't get to do it. I was too scared to do it when I was a kid. <laughs> and I hate myself for that so much now because I, you know, I watch the YouTube videos and I read all about it and I feel like I'm well versed in the attraction. But it's like, ah, oh, why? I want to go back in time and like tell my parents to just like drag my screaming, you know, seven year old self into that attraction and and do it. But um, yeah, there's just so much. I don't know. Do you have do you have like attractions that you feel like you missed out on? Oh, I always feel like there's attractions that I missed out on. I mean, well, well, one alien encounter I loved, especially when we had Jerry Reese on talking about creating that attraction. I I love that attraction. But, you know, I myself, I'm 41. So I've been to the kingdom a lot of times over the years, uh, you know, Walt Disney World. But there are those attractions that I wish, uh, you know, I may, I, I guess I can say I experienced them. I was there but I don't actually remember experiencing them. And one of those would be the Mickey Mouse review. And to me, that's one where I really wish I, I was a, I, you know, I watched the videos and everything else. And I even have a picture of me inside of the venue, but I don't have any recollection of being there. And to me, that's the same as never experiencing it ever. Yeah. How old were you in the picture that you have? Do you know? Oh, I was probably about, I think maybe about four or five. Because it was shortly dismantled in what, 82 or 83, I believe? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, you know, that is, that might be, I'm glad you mentioned it because that might be my top choice. Like if I could go back specifically to a Magic Kingdom attraction of the past, I never got to see it either. 
and I'm just obsessed with the whole idea. Uh, one of my, what I think one of the most interesting things that happens in the entire Walt Disney Company is the idea of characters from disparate intellectual properties, right? Like a Cinderella and a Peter Pan, for example, uh, from two completely different universes coming together in a parade, in a show, and so like things like Mickey's Philhar Magic, you know, Spectre Magic, Wishes, um, and the Mickey Mouse Review is a great example of that uh, to, to like create these new stories. To me, it's very like postmodern. It's the blending of narratives, uh, and this is something that Walt Disney did so naturally, like as if it made perfect sense for characters from different <laughs> countries and different literary traditions to like occupy a story together or to sing songs together. And I just get such a kick out of that. Plus, those animatronics just look so they're so charming, like lovingly crafted. Uh, of course, we have. Three of them uh, still around in Epcot with uh, the Grand Fiesta tour, but yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, what I wouldn't give to go back there, and even though you don't remember it, I'm sure it must be really cool to have that picture of you in there. Oh, definitely. You know, it, that's right up there with you know. Th- there's uh, many attractions like that, and I could go on and on about the Magic Kingdom because, in the end, it is my true love. And I think that out of all the parks, no matter what. Even though, you know, tastes change and you really get into Epcot at one point or you get into Animal Kingdom, I always come back to the Magic Kingdom. And I guess, you know, shifting into the parks, of course. um, Well, you know what? Before we get into your newest book, I guess let's go into the film because it's one that I love. And all of our listeners out there, all of our D-heads know we always have our Halloween shows there that are always big. Everybody loves our not-so-scary Halloween celebration. And that's going to bring me to a film that we hold dear to our heart here. With Hocus Pocus in Focus, um, and I love that book of yours, mainly because we've pretty much had the entire cast at some point here on the show, Thora Birch a few times, and Larry Bagby is a re- reoccurring guest here on our show constantly. So, with that long intro, what led you to want to write a book about Hocus Pocus and those wonderful Sanderson sisters? Gosh, well, first of all, let me say, I, you know, I've, I've talked with a lot of people uh, at a lot of sh- on a lot of shows about this book, but I've been very excited to talk with you about it because I know what a Hocus Pocus fan you are and uh, how important the movie is to, to your show and to your listeners. So it's really cool for me to be able to talk with you about it. Uh, and, and I think it's awesome that you've had so much of the cast. Like, that's just crazy and impressive. Uh, but, you know... I never, I've loved Hocus Pocus my entire life since 1993. I, you know, I was very young when the movie came out. I saw it that year. I have been watching it relentlessly since then, uh, but <laughs> never thought I would write a book. I mean, even after my first book came out, it never occurred to me that I might write one about Hocus Pocus. And it was Halloween 2016, the Halloween season, uh, or I'm sorry, 2015, that uh, I had a chance to see it in movie theaters as part of the Disney screen program. Uh, which, for those who don't know, for about, I would say, a year and a half, maybe, uh, Disney teamed up with Cinemark in six locations throughout the United States, one of which happened to be in Orlando, uh, to screen every single week uh, classic Disney films, live action and animation. And there would be four movies every week, and they were always set to a theme. And at Halloween time, of course, they would do you know, Halloween week, and Hocus Pocus was kind of the the star uh, attract, starring attraction during uh, that. And so it was my first opportunity to see it in cinemas since you know I was a child in 93. And something about, you know, you, you can see something a hundred times. You can know every single word, every character, every piece of trivia, but magnify it, and, and, and have seen it in HD even on Blu-ray, but magnify it, put it on a screen, 
watch it in a communal setting with a whole bunch of other people who love Hocus Pocus, and it's amazing how you how it's it's a completely transformed experience. And it was like lightning flashes going off in my brain left and right while watching it. I just was noticing all these you know, not only like individual observations, but like things were just kind of coming together. And I, I said like, oh my gosh, like, I, I think there's actually so much more to this movie. And that's important because it has this reputation, right, of being a weird movie, which it is. It's very weird. And it's, especially <laughs> by Disney standards, like it's unlike any other Disney movie. It's darker. It's a little dirtier, a little more adult. You know, it's very PG. Uh, it's, it's, it's just, it's very unusual. And it got torn apart by critics in 1993. And it flopped <laughs> and, and was forgotten. And, you know, the cast moved on. I think Bette Midler like loved it, but was kind of embarrassed by it for a while just because everyone hated the movie, rejected it, and it had no life. And then it came back from the dead slowly. Thanks to television airings and home video and all of that, but you know, a lot, a lot of movies flop and then and then get shown on TV and they do not develop the kind of resurgence that Hocus Pocus did. And it just occurred to me that with my generation, you know, people who are you know maybe five years younger than me, ten to fifteen years older than me, in that age span, there's something very like mysteriously powerful about this movie. And so I just wanted to get to like the heart of why, like. You know, my belief is there's no such thing as a, a guilty pleasure. Like, we respond to the things that we like because they speak to us in some way. And, and, and part of the fun of, you know, studying a movie or a theme park or attraction or whatever is, is getting down, like, digging down to the why. Like, what is that thing that appeals to us? And uh, and, and so just something about seeing it on the big screen, it, it, like, the cloud kind of lifted. And I walked out of that film screening saying, I have to write this book. You know, and, and it really did just happen in that in that two hour setting. And I was with a group of friends who also love Hocus Pocus, and they were all they were like, uh, "Yeah, okay, you go you go write that book." <laughs> <laughs> but I did. I was just so on fire with the idea, and it just kind of um, poured out of me. And it's been such uh, a rewarding thing to do that. Well, you know, and like you said, it's one of those where it gained that cult following. I mean, I, I remember seeing it in theaters. And, of course, for me, I got a lot of the inside jokes because at that time I was roughly about 17, 18 years old. So every time they're talking about Yabos and and he's still a virgin, you know, I'm I'm laughing. I'm like, wow, and this is a Disney movie, you know. And, you know, over the years, you really just got that, uh, you know, that sense of, it gained more and more in popularity and more and more and then, you know, pass it on and I pass it on to my kids. Now with that and having so much material to write uh, the book, I mean, because in the end, everyone's like, is there really enough stuff to write about Hocus Pocus? But there really is. I mean, and there's probably even more that could go beyond this book into a second edition. Uh, what was your favorite piece to write about? Whether that was Come Little Children, talking about Yabos, I guess. What was your one favorite part to talk about? You know, probably the whole question of, of the virginity storyline. Uh, this seems to have been reader's favorite part of the book overall. And, uh, yeah, and obviously all the different chapters are, are, are near to me. And so, and for those who don't know, uh, the book is divided into 12 chapters and each one looks at a different theme in Hocus Pocus and kind of how it unfolds in the movie and then, you know, how and why that connects with, uh, the readers. But, uh, there is a sort of essential chapter that goes into the question of, a, why is the character Max a virgin in the movie? B, why is it surprising to us that this high school character in a PG Disney family film in 1993 would be a virgin? Like, C, why do the characters obsess over the fact that he's a virgin? Uh, and 
what comes out of that? And I mean, really, I just went into the book asking the question, right? And so then the answers came out of the process of, of researching and writing and thinking it through. And I sort of take the readers on that journey with me. And I think a lot of interesting insights and, and theories and revelations and realizations come out of that. And, you know, I've heard from so many people since then who are involved with the movie. And it's it's just very cool i think when everyone can kind of say wait a minute there's more there than maybe we knew and like no wonder we've been so fascinated by this movie for 25 years because lots <laughs> of things like lots of really cool interesting things are happening in it and they're happening all at once like it is it's a it's a hilarious movie but it's also like a suspenseful adventure it's also a, a scary movie another chapter is about how it might actually qualify legitimately as a horror film uh, and it is this kind of like sexually provocative movie. It is all of these things. It's kind of a musical. Like it's just, it's, it's everything. It's like everything under the sun rolled into one and, and, and yet did not get its due. Definitely. Like you said, it just, it didn't get that credit. And of course it does, uh, it doesn't stand the test of time because it truly is a nineties film when you watch it. I mean, I remember wearing half of those kind of clothes and whatnot. But uh, like you said, it's it's kind of a musical. And, you know, I got to say, I love Bette Midler's take of Screamin' Jay Hawkins, I Put a Spell on You. And to this day, you know, I, I think it's fantastic. And, you know, I can honestly say, I, I'm proud to say I actually have a full version, uh, cut version of that song by her because I really love her rendition. Yes, I, me too. I, I mean, I, there are so many good versions of that song out there. Uh, Annie Lennox has a fantastic one. Of course, most of them are true to the original lyrics, which are changed considerably for Bette Midler's <laughs> version in the Disney film. But you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan of Bette Midler in general. And, you know, of course, she started a, as a vocalist, and kind of when she when she entered the scene as a recording artist, you know, she was seen as kind of like Carol King's contemporary. But what she was doing was you know interpreting songs in the way that like a Frank Sinatra or an Ella Fitzgerald was you know she was uh an interpreter of lyrics a vocalist and i think that she brings that to this song which has become a stand like even before hocus pocus came around this had already become like a standard right like a lot of jazz musicians had done their takes on it and so she you know is doing the same thing they're doing but in true Bette Midler style she brings this eclectic multi-genred performance style of her own to it so all in one this song in the movie is also a little bit of a rock song it's kind of a throwback doo-wop song um it's a rhythm and blues song which is what it originally was it's a novelty song like it, it's it's multi-genre and, and in the book i kind of trace how that Midler was uniquely positioned to do that because she'd had this crazy eclectic career of her own and it was just such smart casting uh, on Disney's part, and I think we're all very fortunate uh, that that the role ended up with her. Definitely, and like you said, it just, you know, she has the perfect part. Now, before we move on to your newest book and newest release, I guess, with, uh, you know, Hocus Pocus and Focus, which I feel that we could probably explore this for a, an hour, hour and a half long between you and I, but I'm not going to, you know, may, we might have to invite you back to do that because there's a lot of things I feel we could talk about. Um, but uh, I guess with that, and everyone talking about a sequel, now, I'm always looked down upon, but I am the one person who feels that there shouldn't be a sequel because I feel it'll tarnish the original and it's never going to live up to the expectations. Yeah, 
Well, that is the challenge, right? Living up to the expectations. And it is almost impossible to do. Uh, so, I mean, I, I kind of say, like, I think I'm with you. Yeah, I, I would love to see a sequel, but I'm with you in that, like, only do it if you can really do it, you know? And it would take one heck of an idea. Uh, it would it would have to be just the perfect storm of the right script with the right tone, you know, targeting the right audience, but targeting them in the right way so that it's not sticky, so that it's not overly nostalgic, but it's like a little bit nostalgic. You know, it would, it would just, it's very hard to hit that nail on the head. Very few sequels do it, but occasionally they do. And it's encouraging to me that not only does like the audience want this to happen, but, you know, of course, as I'm sure you know, Bette Midler and Sarah Jessica Parker and Kathy Najimy, a lot of the people involved with the original are sort of clamoring for it to happen. And it almost seems like, well, if everybody in the world wants it to happen, then, like, it probably will in some shape or form at some point, whether that's a TV movie or who knows what it would be. But, yeah, like what, like you said, what are the chances that it comes out and people love it? Like, I feel like they're not great, right? <laughs> the chances aren't great of that happening. Not at all. Not at all. And I know, uh, you know, Tobias Jelenic and uh, Larry Bagby and I have talked about this a few times, you know, that – if there is a sequel, it needs to start up with, you know, uh, the two bullies, you know, having uh, Larry and Tobias in their cages to open up the film as old men still trapped in there. I would love that. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things. Their their fate is never resolved. Uh, and that's right, so that, that's a good point, actually, because I do think I talk there's a there's an epilogue in the book called The Case for a Sequel. And one of the things I talk about is the book, the movie does actually end with a lot of unanswered questions. Uh, and there's that total tease. This is a little bit of a spoiler, I guess, but hey, the movie's almost 25 years old. Uh, there's a, a spoiler, or I mean, there's a, there's a tease at the end credits where the spell book opens its eye again. And I mean, I don't know about you, but as a kid watching that, I was just like, wait, what? The, the, the eyes open, the eyes back open. I'm like, keep going, keep going. What, what, what happens next? Uh, and I, you know, I'm guessing a lot of people felt that way, and that's why every single Halloween, the internet blows up with some new rumor, you know, that a sequel is finally happening, and of course it never actually pans out. But there's something there, you know, like you said, like what happens to them? Are they still in the cages? Like we never find out. But um, yeah, it, it would be tough. <laughs> well, like I said, I could talk hocus pocus with you forever. So you know what? I think we might have to come back to that. And Larry always comes back here to the show. And I think what we're going to have to do is have a nice, uh, a nice chat with all three of us here on the line for that. So, oh yeah, and moving forward, you have a brand new book out just released: The Thinking Fan's Guide to Walt Disney World. Epcot. Yes, the experimental prototype community of tomorrow, the land that everyone says was Walt Disney's greatest vision, yet has nothing to do with what he envisioned. I guess, what sparked you to want to write a book about Epcot? Well, going into the Magic Kingdom book, the idea uh, was always that, you know, hopefully it would lead to a series where we'd be able to treat each theme park to this, you know, in-depth look at every ride and show. And I just thought it made good sense to move into Epcot next because it was the second park at Walt Disney World. Uh, but I will tell you that, you know, when I first sat down to start, you know, sketching out ideas for the book, it's a little, just the whole notion of writing the thinking fans guide to Epcot is a little intimidating because I think Epcot is like the thinking fans theme park, right? If any 
theme park is the thinker's park. It's Epcot because it, it always aspired to these like noble goals of, you know, changing the world. Like quite literally, that was part of its mission statement, right? To change the world. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, it's this park about science and about nature and history and geography and world culture and, like, world peace, you know, like, the unattainable. Uh, and and so you know, it deals with movies, but it's not just adaptations of, of movies. There's, there's just so much going on in Epcot. And so it's kind of like, well, okay, we you know, take a deep breath because this is going to be a deep dive. Uh, and it has been a, a deep dive. But the way the book sort of took shape in the early stages uh, was such that not only is it this ride and show walkthrough in the way that the Magic Kingdom book is, like it is that, but there's a real narrative that comes out of that beginning to end in the book, which is answering these big questions that Epcot presents fans. Things like, do characters belong? You know, shouldn't do movies belong in Epcot or are they distracting Epcot from like its higher purpose? And, you know, has Epcot lost its way from from Epcot Center in 1982 to the Epcot we have now? You know, is it wrong for Anna and Elsa and Frozen to be in Norway? Uh, is it wrong for a future world attraction to take place in the past? And, you know, what about these corporate sponsors, you know, like uh, General Motors, Chevrolet, whatever, you know, Kraft Foods, like should they be in Epcot? Are they a distraction? Is it like propaganda? The same question comes up with the governments and their roles in, in sponsoring or co-sponsoring or quasi-sponsoring the pavilions and World Showcase. And so there are just all these really like big questions that I think fans have fun talking about, but they're kind of hard to talk about because they are so big. And it occurred to me that a helpful way to finally answer those questions is to use the rides and shows themselves as like the tools or the text for answering them. Like though there's there's the case study for answering these big questions. It's there in the attractions. And so that was a cool sort of added layer to the Epcot book that wasn't so much there with Magic Kingdom. And once I realized that all of that could happen in this book in a way that would flow, I got really excited about tackling it. And yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm very pleased with what came out of it. I know I fell in love with Epcot. Like, yeah, I mean, I loved it before, but I really fell in love with this place writing about it. And so I'm hope hoping uh, that that comes through, and that you know that readers will will like pick up on that and like and have that same experience. Well, you know, and like you said, it's one of those where it is daunting. It's a daunting task because there's so much to, that goes into Epcot and so many different things that, you know, from Future World and the lands and the pavilions. And like you said, so many facets to it. And I don't want to get too deep into it, of course, because it is a new book. So, you know, in the end, we want people to be able to read it first before we explore too much. But I guess with dealing with some of these attractions and, you know, vintage Epcot, as well as, you know, uh, you know, when you had the Epcot 94 resurgence and then what's going on now, uh, like you said, Anna and Elsa in Norway, um, when you're exploring Epcot as a whole and looking at it, now I guess my, my question to you would be, do you look at it as Walt's version of Epcot or do you look at it as, we took Walt's idea of Epcot and made it something different, but it is still truly Disney? Yeah, you know, that's one of the really cool things about Epcot too, right, is that even though it is a much younger park than Magic Kingdom, it's it's like its history is somehow more extensive. Like, how does that happen? A, a park that's 11 years younger has more history behind it. But it's because it goes back to this incredibly ambitious 
project or idea that Walt had, which was really like a crazy idea when you look at it. And I don't mean crazy in a pejorative sense, but just like this, this was how intrepid a person Walt Disney was. He was just like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to make my own city. I'm going to build it. And not only is it going to be awesome, it's going to change every other city. Uh, and obviously, I mean, that's not, that's not what we have. And I don't even think that's what they tried to do. But I, I wouldn't say that Epcot Center as it opened was a wholesale departure from Walt Disney's vision. I think it, it's very much inspired by, right? So it's like how you can have a, a movie. This, is, this isn't the best example. But, you know, the movie Disturbia uh, is not a <laughs> sequel to or a remake of Rear Window, but it sort of, like, takes the spirit of Rear Window and does something new with it. And I think that's that's – that's kind of what Epcot Center does. Like it takes like that spirit, like Walt Disney's personality. What the thing that led Walt to want to create Epcot, the city, was fundamentally his goodness, his passion for the world, his drive to make things better, and his fundamental belief that like he actually could, that he could arrive at in a near utopia, that he could solve the world's problems if he just had the right tools and the right partnerships. I mean, that fundamentally is the idea of Epcot Center. Uh, so it went in a completely different track, and and I think what they arrived at was glorious. Um, so it's, it's different, but you can absolutely see the connections there. And I, I mean, I don't, I have no idea of knowing whether Walt would be proud of Epcot Center or Epcot today, but I, as a fan, am proud that his legacy led to what Epcot Center was, because to me, it seems like a completely natural extension of who he was. Couldn't put it any better. Like you said, it is that natural extension. And like I said, you know, we don't want to go too deep into it because it is newly released. So we don't want to do too much. But all I can say is that, you know, so many different things that you've done from the Thinking Fans Guide to Walt Disney World Magic Kingdom. Now you have the Thinking Fans Guide to Walt Disney World Epcot. You have Hocus Pocus in Focus, I guess, you know, pushing the newest book and getting out there. Now, I, of course, you're not just jumping right into writing again because now you have the newest book Epcot out here. But are we going to be able to see more and more series of these coming? Maybe a MGM Studios and then going to Animal Kingdom. Maybe one of my favorites that I'm sure could make at least a, a nice 70 page book, a River Country book. <laughs> Oh, I wish River Country. It's like what we were talking about earlier with, uh, you know, like Mickey Mouse review. I never got to go to River Country, and I am completely entranced by the whole idea of the place. Uh, I never would sneak in, but there's definitely a part of me that like wishes that I were the type of person who would sneak in to see it because you've seen these like YouTube videos and uh, and these articles of people who've gone in and done like you know, investigative journalism. And obviously I don't condone that. Like people shouldn't do it and they should not have done it. But, you know, part of me is grateful that these photographs exist because it's such a haunting idea. Uh, so anyways, I would love to know enough about river country uh, to be able to write a book about it. But yeah, to answer your question, more things are coming uh, for sure. I can't say exactly what they are. And you're right. I'm definitely taking a little bit of a break. I feel like I was like underwater for like way too long when your lungs start hurting. It's like, I got to get up. I'm <laughs> taking a, taking a big deep breath now that this book is out. Uh, but yeah, there, there are more things coming. I hope I always have more things coming because there's, there's, there's a lot that I think, yeah, the Disney fan community has gotten so big. And really fan communities as a whole, like in the last 10, 15 years with the uprising of, of podcasts and the internet, we like deserve to have, you know, all these, all this media available to us because 
there is so much to talk about and think about. So that's why I love the advent of podcasting and, and that there's an audience now for these things. And so, you know, like I'm, I'm just excited to be a part of it. I was talking with another podcaster a few weeks ago and I said, you know, we're all teaching each other. I mean, that's really what this is, right? Because 15, 20 years ago, there weren't people who, you know, really wrote about these things or put together shows about these things. And so, we as fans have like taken up that mantle and you know, like I, I have some thoughts and some perspectives on things and other people have completely different thoughts that never occurred to me and, and, and fans write in and listeners and, and readers write in with their own ideas and responses. And like, as a community, we are quite literally teaching, teaching each other and inspiring each other. And I just think like, what a time to be alive, you know? Definitely. You know, and like you said, you know, you're taking that break, but of course, everybody needs to check out the Thinking Fans Guide to Walt Disney World Epcot, the newest release, you know, out there. Of course, there's a lot of Epcot fans. I still call it Epcot Center. Um, if you ever are looking for a co-writer about River Country, I have extensive knowledge on River Country. <laughs> well, with that said, you know, it's our pleasure having you stop in, Aaron, chat with us. Everybody needs to check out all of your books. Uh, where can they, I guess, get these books and purchase them if they'd like to online? Uh, oh, online, uh, Amazon.com is probably the easiest. I guess that's where everybody goes these days, right? If you want signed copies, uh, we're doing those too, uh, through my website, AaronWallaceOnline.com. Uh, you can go there and order a signed copy and there are like bundles for, you know, two books, three books, whatever, and pretty much any combination. Uh, so yeah, that's all there and, and my podcast and social media and everything you can find on my website, uh, which again is AaronWallaceOnline.com. Well, it's our pleasure having you stop in once again, chat with us, take this time. Of course, I really enjoy the reads and now I'm going to have to add Epcot to those reads as well. And I'm, am looking forward to you in the future, uh, coming back on so we can really have a full, I guess a full on huge hocus pocus discussion because you know that uh, I can go pretty deep with you in it and I think we could uncover a lot of great things. So thanks once again, stopping in, chatting with us and best of success on your newest release, uh, The Thinking Fan's Guide to Walt Disney World, Epcot. Thanks so much. This has been a lot of fun.
my siestas are getting shorter and shorter. EC-82 Hey gang, it's me again, Jason. Welcome back down here to the vault, where tomorrow is only a dream away. I'm so glad you were able to come down here today and enjoy another Blu-ray for you to enjoy. Unfortunately, not a Blu-ray, but a DVD nonetheless. I love bringing these special treasures out, and that's where we're going today. In light of what we're talking about, the joys and wonders of my favorite part of the Walt Disney World complex, that being Epcot, I give to you my one of two favorite Walt Disney Treasures DVD box sets in those cute little tins. That's right. We're going to go into Walt Disney Treasures Tomorrowland. Now, Tomorrowland is an awesome set to own. It is two discs, and most people are really kind of bummed out, so to speak, in the fact that it uh, could have had more. It's the shorter of the discs, but nonetheless, I think they are the most enjoyable to watch, not only because of the scientific nature in which they touch, but also the fact that you get some great supplemental features and interviews that are almost lost without having this collection. So to start out with, of course, you have disc one. You pop that in, and Leonard Malton will always greet you, since these were a little bit of his brainchild. He gives you the notion of what's going on, and the fact that during the Disneyland programs, Walt Disney always had his eye three steps forward. And let's face it, we've always seen that in his innovations and innoventions that have come from his mind and from the brain chest he has created. So it is no wonder that Tomorrowland always holds a very special spot in Walt's heart. So once Leonard puts your science factual programs all in order, we're ready to delve into what we get. Disc 1 contains Man in Space, very simply put, Ward Kimball, yes, animator Ward Kimball, giving you the idea of what it's going to be like for man to actually get up into space and what may eventually happen up there. Again, this was March 9th of 1955. Second episode, Walt's very interesting take on man and the moon. Not man and the moon, you know, the REM song. No, completely different. But again, Walt being ahead of his time, who knows? May have had that song thought of long ago. This animated tale, along with live action, gives you some great insight on how man has always viewed the moon, from early film footage, to folklore, to even to modern science. Again, 1955, December of 1955 to be exact. And to round out this fine disc, Mars and Beyond, Garko the Robot, along with Walt, gives us a great insight of what the red planet has for us. Again, discussing the early theories of what the red planet had along with the great ideas of H.G. Wells and Edgar Rice Burroughs, two men whom Walt has eventually done some work with. Well, not may not, obviously not personally, but their works have become part of his works as well. Edgar Rice Burroughs being more famous for John Carter of Mars, 
Again, 1957, we're getting an idea of what really is going on and what people are thinking about. Of course, looking back at it today, we probably would laugh to think what we may eventually do out there. But the fact of the matter that we were already talking about the red planet being our sister planet in the near future seems truly innovative and amazing. The second disc has us ready for some more scientific knowledge, this being more Earth-based. The first featurette, Eyes in Outer Space. Well, it sounds like it's not so Earth-based, but it is. It's actually devoted to how we get the idea of weather. I mean, weather is a very simple science, yet when we devote satellites and predictions and mapping, it becomes an entirely different science. Next up, our friend the atom. 1957, almost two years after the opening of Disneyland, we are getting the inside scoop of what goes on molecularly. Many people may remember or know about the great attraction, Journey into Inner Space, which dealt with miracles and molecules. Well, this indeed was our first dip into that science. Complete with an early, would I say, Bill Nye the Science Guy-esque, Dr. Heinz Harbour? telling us animatedly how atomic energy would work and can take care of all sorts of our future endeavors. If you look closely at the genie that's featured in here, he looks a little familiar, a little blue like our friend from Aladdin. However, his physique almost looks a little Jafar when he takes genie form. I sense a little bit of history in the making. And finally, to round out this disc, is my favorite Epcot. Yes, 1966, October, in which Walt himself explains the plans for Walt Disney World in Florida. Not only does he do that, he speaks of an experiment that he is so excited for, an experimental prototype community of tomorrow that will revolutionize the way people live and communicate as well as travel. As much as I love this part and his optimism to the future and his eye towards what we as humans would eventually do and become, it's sad to note that two months after this segment was filmed, Walt left us into the great beyond. What I love about it is that this, this piece that he talks about and the joy that we see him discuss Disney World as well as Epcot, is our final gift that he gave us personally. And yet the gifts that were in his mind keep giving to us, even to today. Six short vignettes, two discs, and one amazing DVD collection. I think this is a must for any Disney fan, be it the love of the Disney television series, as well as those interested in the future as seen in the 1950s. What I love about this is that you have to remember, most people were watching this on black and white television, but thankfully for us, it was recorded in color. Walt knew that at, at some point, we were all going to be seeing this wonderful world of color. A great amount of the stock footage, mostly with rockets and the like, are on older film, so you're going to get that rough look anyway. But, of course, you get that stunning animation in contrast. To know that Ward Kimball watched over this and took pride 
and dedication into creating a lot of these great vignettes makes me smile every time I watch them. This is how we should be learning science. Well, maybe in an updated form, but I guess that's why we have miles to go. Or is that miles from Tomorrowland? I'm not sure, but sounds like we could get a joint venture together. Bonus material abounds, of course, in these great treasure boxes. You get some great behind-the-scenes gallery pictures, as well as publicity and publication photos. The Optimistic Futurist, which is a 25-minute discussion in which science fiction author Ray Bradbury speaks so highly about Walt Disney and all of his creations. The treasure in this box, or as the diamond in the rough, so to speak, is my favorite. Next to the Epcot vignette itself is the interview entitled Marty Sklar, Walt, and Epcot. Yes, Marty sits down with Leonard Malton to discuss Marty's employment with Disney and what he had seen as Walt as a visionary. On a side note, there of course is a small Easter egg which are always fun to look for and which you can hear the Sherman Brothers perform There's a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow, which we all know is an anthem and theme that goes greatly in the carousel of progress. I cannot extend my joy and my hope that you will pick up this treasure to watch alone or with others. Any way you do it, you're going to get a great amount of history, nostalgia, and maybe learn a few things. I'm going to put this one back under H for Horizons, and I will see you again next time with a new blue for you to view down here in the vault. Until next time, gang, remember, the magic of Disney movies is always a journey through Spaceship Earth, and always deep inside of you. In their dealings with pressed envelope to Davis and Kirk. Right down that. I'm Card Walker, president of Walt Disney Productions, and I'd like to answer a question that's been asked many times about Epcot. Why is Disney getting into so many things that are apparently unrelated to the entertainment industry? What can Disney possibly contribute? Epcot will be a community of ideas, a public forum for information transfer about emerging new technologies, prototype systems, and promising new concepts. Four major objectives were established in order to bring this unique community to reality. First, Epcot will be a showcase for prototype concepts. Special legislation passed by the state of Florida in 1967 helped to establish the Epcot Building Code, considered one of the most advanced in the nation, to govern planning, design, and construction. This far-reaching code has enabled innovative building materials and systems to be applied from the very beginning thus laying a strong foundation for Epcot as a showcase for prototype concepts. Even from the outside, the Energy Pavilion will be a strong visual statement as it generates power via its own solar energy systems. Here, the formation of fossil fuel energy will be portrayed. The Transportation Pavilion will show how man has progressed through time in direct relation to his ability to move from one location to another. Visitors will see man's earliest and most humble designs grow and change as he reaches out to explore the world around him. They'll be treated to simulated trips aboard some of today's modes of transportation. 
and have a glimpse at future transportation systems. Here, guests sail through moments of peril and triumph with the great explorers who charted the seas for civilization. In another adventure, Poseidon the Sea Lord will challenge visitors to journey through the ocean depths and space, where a vast interstellar space vehicle will transport passengers to the outer frontiers of the universe. Through these future world pavilions, millions of visitors will learn firsthand about what's being done in creative centers around the world. Another key element of information transfer will be Future World's Communicore. As its name suggests, this global marketplace of new ideas will be the communications core of Epcot. To make today's dreams for Epcot, tomorrow's reality for everyone. Here, you'll reach for New Horizons, a spectacular odyssey into the future, where you'll discover the envisioned technologies of the 21st century and beyond. Here, you'll visit a city of tomorrow, desert farm, space colony, and undersea city. Hello there, Dreamfinder here, and uh, my friend Ron Schneider's got a wonderful book about me called From Dreamer to Dreamfinder that you should pick up. Uh, but in the meantime, you're listening to Disney On Demand. <laughs> Hey there, D-Heads. Paige here with an all-new Magical Music Review. This week, we are taking a look at some of the newer music in the Disney Music Library. In July of 2016, Disney Channel premiered a new show for Disney Junior. Adding a new story in the Sophia the First Universe, viewers were introduced to Disney's first Latina princess, Elena of Avalon. With the theme written by John Cavanaugh from Sophia the First and music for the show written by Tony Morales, we've already been treated to a number of delightful songs in the beginning of Elena's adventures. The underlying score throughout includes mariachi and flamenco-inspired guitar, Cuban and Brazilian rhythms, Chilean and Peruvian influence, and percussion, which according to Tony Morales gives the music a pan-Latin folk sound as if played by an orchestra. Merengue, salsa, Latin rock, folk, and upbeat pop are only a few of the different musical styles that make up the soundtrack. With the soundtrack that has been held by the voice of our new princess, Amy Carrero, I have selected three of my favorite songs thus far to take a look at. With all that said, let us waste no time. Skylar, Luna, and Migs are here to take us all to the land of Avalor as we enjoy some music from Disney Junior's new hit show, Elena of Avalor. Our very first episode with Elena dealt with what precisely her role would be in the kingdom. While she had been trapped in the amulet of Avalor for 41 years, and was therefore technically 57, she was still a 16-year-old girl when all was said and done. With this comes a conflict between Francisco and Elena, and our first song. Ready to Rule is a duet between our two characters, voiced by Emiliano Diaz and Amy Carrero. As with the entire soundtrack, the Latin-inspired music flows in this song. As noted by creator and executive producer Craig Gerber in an interview with Billboard, this particular song combines two different styles of music, banda and contrapuento. Banda is a style of Mexican music in which wind instruments, particularly brass and percussion, perform. Contrapuento is a traditional acoustic vocal battle with improvised lyrics, which is easy to recognize as Elena's abuelo Francisco and Elena go back and forth on the matter of if Elena is ready to take on the responsibilities of queen and ruler of Avalor. Once was a king who had lost his new crown He frantically searched for it all over town Alas, he did not hear the shouts as his bed Of everyone saying it was right on his head Oh, he thought he was ready to rule 
but he still had some learning to do. If you listen up more than you speak, you will soon gain the wisdom you seek. So there's no need to rush, keep your cool, and one day you'll be ready to rule. I fully intend to take your good advice, but the years I spent watching my dad should suffice to teach me the things that I need to have down, like how to know when I am wearing a crown. Oh, I know I'm ready to rule, though you think I have learning to do. So I'll have to come up with a way I can prove it to you on this day. Then you will see when I'm through that I am already ready to rule. Show them I can be as good a leader as you. The city, of course. Today I will meet with all the city leaders and make sure they have what they need to restore our kingdom to greatness. Can you arrange that, Armando? Oh, is the chief of the castle supposed to arrange such things? I'm still getting used to the job. I know everyone who's anyone in Avalon. I will take care of everything. Then what are we waiting for? I'll take charge like the leader. Highest esteem, there's more to good leadership than it may seem. Still, I know I'm ready to rule, but you still have some learning to do. Now I really must be on my way. Even though I am begging you stay soon, you will see what I say is true. No, it's you. Dia de los Muertos plays a role in the episode A Day to Remember. A real-life celebration to honor loved ones who have passed, Elena joins in the preparations for the celebrations while singing Festival of Love. Primarily an upbeat number helmed by the trumpets, piano, guitar, and percussion, the song makes you want to dance. Elena sings of the different ways that everyone honors their loved ones, from building altars in the graveyard to baking sweet treats to bring to the altars. Of course, an ever-present reminder in this show is the reason that Elena has taken on so much responsibility at such a young age, the death of her parents. This does play a role in the episode and in the song itself, with a softer, reflective verse where Elena sings of her parents missing them, but also remembering that their memory will be kept alive.
festival keeps their memory alive. This is a day we all await. This is a day we celebrate. The festival of love. The festival of love. When the show premiered, we were treated with a glimpse of Elena's backstory in the first moments of the show. With the release of the special, Elena and the Secret of Avalor, audiences got the whole story. Without going into too much detail of the rest of the story, Princess Sophia of Enchantia discovers that Elena has been trapped in the Amulet of Avalor for 41 years, and she must travel to Avalor to release her. In expressing her joy and gratitude of being released, Elena begins to sing what has become my favorite song of the soundtrack, My Time. Starting soft with a solo guitar player, the song picks up with an urgency and uplifting and empowered sound as the dynamics, crescendo, and instruments are added into the mix, also including a key change for the latter half of the song. While marveling at her freedom, Elena also focuses on what she now must do, and that's free her kingdom from the evil that has taken over and reclaim it in honor of her family and friends. Determined to not let anything get in her way, she sets off to face the challenge head-on as her time has arrived. Having my feet on the ground It's been a while since I've been walking around With my own eyes I can once again see My dream has come true I am free Which out of our beautiful land I'll banish the darkness and bring back the light Cause this time I'm ready to fight This is my time My time to face my old foe My time Reclaim what was ours long ago Up. 
Thanks for sticking around for another magical music review and coming back every week for Disney On Demand. Feel free to head over to the D-Wire on Facebook to connect with the D-Team and myself. Send me an email with any comments, suggestions, or questions at page at disradio.com or send me a friend request at page disradio. The team and I would love to connect with you all. Have a wonderful rest of your week, D-Heads, and until next time, see ya! Disney Blues. Disney On Demand. Ooh, I thought you were dead. With your host, Jonathan Johnson. What? My dad gave it to me. It shows exactly where we are on the planet. Boop, beep, 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 boop, boop. Was this baby? We'll never be alone. You just tell the man you want to go back to your mother. All right, all of you D-heads, so I am back, and I hope you enjoyed this week's show. It was a fantastic romp, taking that trip through all the different parks, Magic Kingdom, Epcot, and of course, one of my favorite films, Hocus Pocus, as you all know, we love that. So I want to extend a very special thank you once again to our special guest, Aaron Wallace, stopping in here at the show. Remember, you can get all of his books, autographed copies, and more at AaronWallaceOnline.com. So thank you, Aaron, stopping in, and I am looking forward to possibly writing that River Country book with you in the future. So definitely hit me up for that one. I'd also like to thank the D-Team, because without the D-Team, there would be no show of Aaron, Paige, Caitlin, Dominic, Jason, and Cody all stopping in here this week with their signature segments. Because of you, everybody doesn't have to listen to me ramble week in and week out. They can listen to all of us ramble. And remember to connect up with the D-Team on our official website at DizRadio.com, D-I-Z-Radio.com. Drop them a line, send them an email, and start the discussion. And finally, most of all, after seven years, thank you, the D-Heads. You are the reason that the show continues to thrive, continues to go on, for the last seven years. So thank you, the D-Heads, for making the show truly what it is. Now, next week, for show number 165, we have a fun romp ready for you. Valentine's Day is in the wings, love is in the air, and we have a very special guest that's stopping in for that. So before I let you go here this week, as this fantastic show here is coming to a close, I do want to give you all the different ways you can stay connected here at the show. And first and foremost, you can always visit our official website at dizradio.com, D-I-Z Radio. There you can find our full list of past shows, the complete archives, our lifetime of Disney player, and more right there on our official website at dizradio.com, D-I-Z radio.com. You can also connect up with us all over the social media outlets on Facebook at facebook.com slash Disney On Demand. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Just search Disney On Demand. Diz Radio, D-I-Z Radio, or Disney Blue, and that's B-L-U, all of which are going to help you find our fun, magical show. And remember, if you just can't wait, you need the show as soon as it gets released. All you have to do is go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio and subscribe right there. It is that easy. And you can listen to it on your iPhone, your Android, your tablet, you name it, and get the latest shows as they get released. And remember, if you can't remember any of this, just go to DizRadio.com, D-I-Z Radio.com, and all those links are posted right there as well. So all of you DHs, with that said, it is time to close out this week's show. And how fitting, since we're talking about friendships and ways to just bring the past into the future and the Mickey Mouse review, how about a little bit of Three Caballeros? Until next week, all of you DHs, I'm gearing up for the Pinewood Derby with my scouts. So have a fantastic weekend. And as I always say, slow down, take time, and never neglect family for business. Until next week, all of you DHs, have a fantastic, magical weekend. 
Caballeros, they say we are birds of a feather. We'll hop the amigos, no matter where he goes. The one, two, and three goes. We're always together. Caramba. Oh, yes. I don't know. With three caballeros, three caballeros, they say we are birds of a feather. We'll hop the amigos, no matter where he goes, the one, two, and three goes. We're always together. Thank you for tuning in to Disney Blues, Disney On Demand. The content and thoughts expressed are those of the show and not the Disney company. Now go on and relive the magic, memories, and appreciation from your lifetime of Disney. See you real soon.